0: So, uh, in the run-up to Christmas, what we're doing is looking at this series, which we call Roots, and uh, Dave, uh, I think, spoke last uh, uh, Sunday morning about Roots. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, it tells us, it gives us the genealogy of Jesus. It traces, uh, through history and through time, the people who played their part in Jesus' family tree, And uh, it's my job uh, to speak around that this morning. And what I want to do is just deviate a little bit uh, from that. Because in Jesus' genealogy, not mentioned in either Luke's version of it or Matthew's version of it that we're following, is, of course, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. The reading we just had is all about John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus and John were cousins. John, uh, a little bit... Um, older than him and in actual fact I think it really um, bodes well for us if we stop and pay attention to this man just a little bit. Why? Because Mark's gospel as Caroline just read to us starts with the story of John the Baptist and really surprisingly this is quite unusual um, Matthew, Luke and John all contain this story as well. John's role in Jesus' life and in ushering in what's going to happen through Jesus is so significant that it's recorded by absolutely everyone, all four Gospels. And John's role seems to be this. um, And I'll head into a little bit more detail. He seems to have got it right. It strikes me. He seems to be able to say, I've got a role to play, and I'm going to play it, and I need to play it, and it's my responsibility to play it. But at exactly the same moment, he also says, I'm not the guy. It's not me. I know my limitations. I've got my part to play, but I'm not the one. There's the one. It's him. It's not me. I can't do it. Look at him. And I think that that is an extraordinary example of exactly who we need to be as a church. We need to know our responsibility and play our part, but we need to say, I'm not the guy. We're not the ones. Look at him. And we need to point to Jesus. It strikes me that there are several dangers that churches can fall into. And one is to fail to engage to preach a kind of happy gospel that doesn't touch the lives of anyone, that skips over the misery and the heartache and the struggle of our culture and the families around us, that talks about an ethereal life beyond death but doesn't have much to say about life before death, life after birth. And it strikes me that that's in actual fact a denial of what following Jesus is actually about. But then there's another danger. And the danger is we plunge in and we get involved, but we become a kind of alternative social services. We, we fill in the gaps that everybody's leaving. We run a food bank, which we need to run because there's um, a, a growing level of poverty. Do you know some new research out just this morning uh, shows that... Uh, Uh, Child poverty in this country is is at a record high for the last two decades and is set to increase. Absolutely staggering that we find ourselves in that position, isn't it? In this uh, capital city as well, where there is so much wealth splattered everywhere, but child poverty is rampant and out of control. Although those figures were released uh, this uh, this morning, um, the truth is that we know only too well that to be the case, even if it's not out in official figures. We see it every day. We live with it every day, don't we? The work of Oasis just in this community demonstrates that point to everyone. But the danger is that we get so engaged in all of these things that we're doing that we become... An amateur social services. Now, when I say amateur, I don't mean not as good as the real thing. Amateur, of course, uh, comes... Everyone's laughing at something that's going on over there. There's a a mouse. So, um, let's focus ourselves. Great. So, we have this responsibility, and it's a big responsibility. We are not to be an amateur social services... Uh, by the way, I was just about to say that I don't disparage the term amateur. I think the term amateur has been lost in our society and I think that's one of our society's problems. The, the term amateur means, of course, you know, from the French, uh, from the Latin, lover. Lover. An amateur is someone who loves what they're doing. We've turned... The term amateur into not very proficient. Somebody who rummages around and isn't really very good at what they do, and leave it to a professional. When we leave life to professionals, life gets stuck, and we get sold short. We need lovers. We need lovers. We need people who love community, who love families, who love those who don't have family, who love those who are betrayed, who love those who have not, and love. To love means to give rather than just talk. So John the Baptist is introduced in this way in Mark's gospel. He's introduced in this way. I'd like to read to you again what Caroline read to us because I think it's so significant for us. Mark begins his gospel by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Long ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. I will send my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. A messenger is calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And if you read Luke's account of this, Luke's is a longer gospel. You know, Mark is the first of the gospels written, and he does it all really rather quickly, and it's the shortest. But uh, Luke expands out. And so he, in his version, he repeats those words and he has a few more. And here are the other words. Luke says, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare a way, uh, your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, this is to be John ba- the Baptist, make ready the way of the Lord. And then he says this, make his path straight, make every, re- every ravine will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of our God. John the Baptist steps into the role he has, and he knows that it's his role to prepare a way for Christ. He knows that he's the messenger that's been sent ahead. He knows that it's his job to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He knows he's got to make ready the way of the Lord. He knows he's got to speak about making the paths straight, filling in the ravines, every mountain and hill being brought low, the crooked paths becoming straight, the rough roads smooth. It's his job to do that. This week I was struck by... Um, the service in St. Paul's Cathedral uh, to remember the tragedy of the Grenfell Tower. I was struck by it, Um, the guy who conducted it, uh, David is uh, the Dean of St. Paul's, is one of my friends and a friend of Oasis in lots of ways as well. David had this responsibility of leading uh, the service there as the families and friends The residents of Grenfell, those who didn't die in that huge fire, came. And as I uh, watched the uh, news output of this, several things struck me again. Leaving aside the politics of it, and I think that it's ever so easy for people to get angry around politics and then get self-righteous around getting angry, but still miss the point. The point is this. That in one of the richest cities in the world, the rich and the powerful, the corporates, um, vying for contracts, forgot the poor. What became important to them is getting the contract and getting the job done cheaply. What became important was my pocket rather than anyone well, um, else's pocket. And that's not to point any fingers at anyone. For we all become part of this. I was reflecting this week that everybody says... Uh, I would speak to so many people each week who would say they hate the gentrification of London, that it's becoming the domain of the rich and the powerful. And this isn't an advert for the Hub Coffee House. But then they go and um, buy their coffee... In, an, in a chain, they go, they say, oh, you know, I'm not going to mention the names, you know them, oh, they've opened, I can have coffee there. In our own small way, in that moment, we are buying into exactly the same lifestyle. It's too easy to point a finger at others whilst we don't think about what we do with our resources, our cash Our time. And it strikes me that the tragedy of Grenville, which has been so hard to bear for the residents who've been left alive, is that they cried out for years for something to be done. This didn't take them by surprise. And as we're discovering, there were so many families that needed other support from other services, which was never given and never offered. But once the tragedy happens, everybody wants to beat somebody else up about what went wrong. I listened to uh, some uh, voices, listened to a rapper actually talking um, on on Radio 4 after the service. I thought he made a huge amount of sense. And he said this. He said, one of the hardest things for the residents was that a crowd gathered. You know when there's a crash on a motorway, you always get the people who rubberneck, you know, who stop and stare. And he said a crowd gathered and everybody stood there staring, watching. No one turned away. There was nothing they could do. They, it became a form of entertainment, watching the building burn and watching others die. Huge crowds of hundreds of people. And it made me stop and think that metaphorically, talking of metaphors for the second time this morning, that's what we all do. We stand and stare. We watch the agony of our city. We see the agony of the refugee. We see the agony of the person who is now homeless because they can't get the credits they need. We know that the use of our own food bank has risen by a third on last year. We're living at a moment when there is more child poverty than ever before. The truth is, I know this from the work of Oasis in these two schools that we run in this community, let alone uh, around the country, the threshold for getting any help from social services has become so high now that there are kids at real risk, lots of them at real risk, and no one does anything about it, except to acknowledge that it's a problem. But when we acknowledge a problem, when we see the problem, we become like the crowd who metaphorically look on at the disaster engulfing the lives of others and then walk away f- for our own life. This week, I um, attended a funeral uh, for someone, of somebody who uh, used to work uh, for Oasis. Um, in fact, she met her husband in Oasis in a party um, in uh, uh, our house, Corny and I when Oasis was small, and you could get all the staff in a house. Um, And at the age of 40, um, suddenly she died. She was diagnosed with cancer and had died within five days. And uh, uh, this Thursday, um, Cornelia and I and Jill, who's here, uh, we went to Gemma's funeral. And Simon, her husband, told a story told he spoke brilliantly and he told many stories about her but he told this story he said that last Christmas Christmas Day morning they'd gone to church and um, then they headed home for their family meal and family and relatives were coming and Gemma was quite a cook Then everybody noticed um, that Gemma, who was in the kitchen, was crying. And so Simon went to ask why she was crying. And she was crying because a friend of hers that she'd been talking to earlier that morning in church, Christmas morning, she'd learned was going to spend Christmas Day on her own. And so, uh, within minutes, it had been arranged that a phone call would be made. And that friend, who would have spent that day on her own, was invited to the house and invited to the mill. And you may say that that's just a small thing, but you and I, we're called to do the small things, the things that we can do, make the difference we can. The world is filled with critics. It makes you really quite sick, doesn't it, to listen to them lining up on ITV and Sky and BBC, those pundits who sit there and tell us what's wrong with society. Actually, the test for me or you isn't about the brilliance of our analysis of the social issues of our day. It's about the level of commitment that we have to make the difference that we can make. That's the reality. That's the reality for each one of us. Not to be caught as a spectator, but to be, become a participant. So the question is, what can you do? What can you offer? We've talked about this gap in the funding for the Harvest for Hope House. Perhaps you can do something. Perhaps it will cost you a holiday. So what? It's all a matter of whether we buy into the lie of consumerism at the level we can, or whether we actually live radically different lives. That's the test. So John plays his part. I will send a messenger ahead of you, says God, who will prepare a way. And John knows that's his job to do. And he stands up in the desert and he announces this good news. And he speaks out against the injustice of the government of his day, as you probably know. If you don't, you should read his story, which you can trace through the first half of all the Gospels. And if you do know John's story, you'll know the end. The end is that he's beheaded. The end of his story is that he's executed. He's executed because he speaks the truth with clarity. He's executed because he will not coalesce with evil. The price of standing up is sometimes heavy. It's sometimes hard. We don't stand up because it will be good for us. We stand up and we engage because it's the right thing. To do. But then John has this extraordinary way with him. So let me read you the second little bit of what Caroline read to us. And so John the Baptist appeared in the desert and he preached that the people should be baptized and turn away from their sins. And in Luke, he goes on to articulate what some of those structural sins are in his society. And then it says he baptized people in the river Jordan. And uh, John's clothes were made out of camel's hair. He had a leather belt round his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And then it says this. Here is what John was preaching. This is his message. After me, there is someone coming who is more powerful than I am. I'm not good enough to bend down and untie his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John said I'm not the one I don't have what it takes I'm just a messenger we're all here to prepare a way for Christ, we're not the one, we don't have what it takes, we do what we do as a sign of the kingdom of God but we must point people to Christ Our task is to build together a Christ-centered community. If uh, you um, had that piece of paper uh, that uh, Leanne was referring to and you read that poem that we wrote together some years ago, it's on the back uh, of of where you've filled in what you could remember of the things we talked about in that sermons through the year. But take that away and read it again because it's all about our role but in the end, our task is to point people to Jesus, both as a community and personally. Tonight, by the way, we're the carol service, um, which will be brilliant. Uh, it always is. is a wonderful opportunity, isn't it, to have the courage, not to say, oh, I came to church on Sunday morning, so I won't come again. You know, rem- that's consumerism again, isn't it? it? You see, it creeps in all the time. Yeah, I've, I've done it, you know. Or to say, oh, I don't like carols, that's consumerism. I don't like it, so I won't do it. The, the, the question is, how can this be of help to someone else? That has to be the question we ask every day, at every minute. Am I doing, am I doing this because I like it, it helps me? Or is there an opportunity to help someone else forward, to invite someone, to include someone, to ring someone up this afternoon, to invite them along, to sing carols at Christmas... Um, to have some mold wine, to enjoy a Sunday evening, to be included in. These things make a big difference to people, as you well know yourself, when someone stops to smile at you, to thank you for something, to invite you to something, even if you can't go, don't you feel better because of it? It's our job. John says, It's not me. I'm not the one. I'm, I don't have the, you know, it's above my pay grade. I, I'm, I'm only here to prepare the way. He knows his limitations, but he has the courage to constantly point people to Jesus. And then these last few words. John says this um, I'm not good enough to bend down and untie his sandals. After me, there's coming someone more powerful than I. And then he says, I baptize you with water. I sometimes baptize people in water. I've baptized some of you in water. But John says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What is baptism? It's a soaking, isn't it? You get thoroughly soaked. Um, And there was a Jewish... Cultural um, uh, tradition, as you probably all know, of baptizing people. Jews baptized all the time to wash away the past for a new beginning. John baptizes people in exactly this way. But he says Jesus is coming and he's not going to soak you with water to get clean. He'll soak you in the Holy Spirit. It's a strange thing, isn't it? What's the work of God's spirit in our lives and what's our work? I can't work that out. I've never been able to work that out. But I have learned this through watching you, some of you, and through seeing this happen in my own life. I've learned this, that when we give ourselves wholeheartedly to pointing people to Jesus, when we give ourselves wholeheartedly to being involved instead of standing on the sidelines and making another excuse for our inactivity and our lack of commitment and putting ourselves out, When we do that, it's extraordinary the things that happen. It's extraordinary to see the changes that are made. It's extraordinary to see the things that do come together. About um, 15 years ago, um, just one or two of you here, I'm looking at Joyce and I can see Cynthia there sat uh, beside each other. And there are others of of you here Ogney and Emmanuel's here um, and I'm sure that there are those of you here uh, that I'm at Dale and, uh, that I'm not mentioned but about 15 years ago um, those who I've just talked about were very gracious in that they allowed me to come and to work with them here in this church uh, this building looked very different then and um Uh, The truth is that there were wonderful days in the past of this church. Um, There's agony, uh, but those days had disappeared. But through the faithful prayer of those people that I've mentioned, and others, if I've not mentioned you, forgive me, but through their faithful prayer and their trust in me, even at the moments when it was a little bit hard, because there were moments when it was a little bit hard, and I made suggestions that were a bit hard to bear, the truth is, through that small group of people working together, a very small group of people working together, you are all here now. Every child who's in our nursery or the primary school or the secondary school or will be in the sixth form from September every visitor to the library or the farm, every family that's included, all of the families that are served this year through the food bank, all of the families that are being helped through the Debt Advice Centre, all of the families that are helped through the work that we do in the hospital. And as you know from the new year, we're going to begin working with guys in St Thomas's, St Thomas's, around obesity in children uh, and young people. And we hope that things are going to run really right for us. We think they will this week, which means we'll be able to tell you much more in the new year um, uh, 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 did I did I say obesity? Then I, I yeah, I didn't mean that. Did I? I meant diabetes. Right? Yeah. Okay. We are working. We are. We have just been asked to work with uh, uh, St Thomas's and Guy's uh, around diabetes uh, and young people. Um, and so that's an extraordinary thing. And we hope that in the new year, then. Uh, We think that in the new year, we're pretty sure that in the new year, we'll be able to talk to you about the fact that we will be working with guys in St. Thomas's over the next five years around childhood obesity, which we know is linked to poverty. We know it's linked to poverty. Here's the thing. A hundred years ago, uh, down at the War Museum, which used to be called um, Bedlam, you, you know that, you, know, you used to go down there on a Sunday. No doubt people went from this church. And you used to go down there a hundred years ago and you used to be told, if you're not good and don't keep your manners, you'll end up like these people. And people with mental health issues were just herded in. And you could even go and poke them with a stick to wake them up. You know, it used to happen down the road to say to your kids, you'll end up like this if you don't do what I tell you. We've come a long way since then. But we still think that obesity is due due to a a lack of resolve. We still think that obesity is due to the fact that you've got no um, self-discipline. Do you know? We know that it's nothing to do with that. We know that obesity is linked to poverty. We know that. The best of us know that. Our scientists know that. It's linked to poverty. It's not linked to a lack of control as you stand there in your slim body and look, look at someone else who's hugely overweight, hugely overweight, and say, oh, I've got more self-discipline than them. No, you've got more money than them. That's what you've got. You've got a better lifestyle than them. You've got more opportunities than them. So through the next five years, we can have an opportunity to work at all that. But here's the thing. Take hold of all our efforts unless they are soaked in the spirit of God's unless they're baptized in the Spirit of God, unless we're constantly saying, Lord God, fill us with your Spirit so that our little offerings of inviting someone to lunch or giving some cash or beginning a conversation or mentoring a child or knocking on our next door neighbor's house, inviting them round, or buying an extra present for someone, whatever it might be. Take hold of our little offerings. And as we bring the little offerings of our life to God, John's got it. He says, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will soak you in God's spirit. And that is going to bring about a revolution. Let me pray for you and we're going to see, Father, our job is to point people to Jesus, to make straight the paths, to step out of the crowd, to stop spectating, to engage ourselves, to give ourselves. Speak to us As we leave you space to know the way that we should go. As the band prepare to lead us in a hymn that picks this up. The joy to the world that Jesus brings. I ask you to take a moment to think about what small thing can you do this Christmas time. Maybe a big thing for you a thing that puts you out, that drives you out of your comfort zone, that brings you out of the crowd that just watches and makes you a participant in bringing in God's kingdom. And as you think about that, pray this prayer. Baptise me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Fill me again. Soak me through with your Spirit. Capture my energy, which is surrendered to you. Transform my life. This is my prayer. Amen.